Okay, so we're on lesson 12, and uh, I'm going to do my best to get through it all uh, today. So this is on the last things, which uh, another word for this, uh, the word in Greek, or the technical term is eschatology. Uh, Eschatos is Greek for last or final, and uh, logos is um, words. So it's words or study, the study of the last things. Uh, so the end times is what we would call it. Now, there are two extreme reactions that people have whenever we talk about or consider the last things. Uh, the first error or the first reaction is that of terror. And some people become paralyzed with fear thinking like that the thinking of the end of the world and even the end of their own life. And this leads them to panic, to anxiety, to mourning, even obsession uh, over the last things. Uh, they'll watch the news incessantly day and night and they live in constant fear. I know of a woman who didn't leave her house uh, for years. She stayed locked inside her own home uh, because she was afraid of, of the end. <clears throat> That's one extreme, which is terror. The other extreme is that of ignoring uh, the topic altogether. And that's an overreaction to the first. Uh, so they, the idea is that since they believe that thinking about the end of the life, their own life and the end of the world is something terrible and terrifying, then they simply ignore the topic altogether. And they distract themselves from reality and they never consider it. They just say, I'm going to focus on life. I'm not going to think about these things, even though it's the elephant in the room. It's a thing that's obvious to us all. Uh, both of these responses, though, are wrong. And they both miss the entire point of what the Bible promises. <clears throat> so I'll tell you of this third way, the middle way. And as a Christian, uh, since you know Jesus and the end of, uh, you know about the end of your life and the end of this world, um, when you consider these things, it will actually be a comfort. It's your only hope and joy. If you're terrorized by the end times, then it's because you don't know or trust what Jesus says about them. And if you ignore the end times, then you're ignoring the great promises that Jesus gives. Uh, the, the end times are a serious thing. <clears throat> and the end times are a terror to unbelievers, but not to Christians. When we see the end, um, Jesus tells us in, his script, in, in the scriptures to lift up our heads and rejoice because our redemption draws near. So the, the main point of this final class is to tell you what is the purpose of everything that we've been talking about? What does it do? What does it end up? Uh, where does it end up? And what's the purpose of it? Well, this is it. It all of it leads to this, uh, this very thing, the last things that you would have peace and comfort in, in not only your final day, but the final day of the world. <clears throat> Now, I think the best way for me to, to explain this is not by telling you what isn't. Other times I did. I told you what this is not, not, not. And I think it's so confusing regarding the last times and the, the last things. Uh, there's so many teachings out there that it can confuse you. And it, it could be unhelpful to just go through them all. It, it'll, it would also take all of our time. So rather than addressing what isn't, I'm just going to tell you what is. And hopefully by knowing what is, you can then realize what isn't. If we had a longer class, I could tell you, address the other things too. 
But so with that being said, I'm going to show you a, a timeline that I drew up and just following scripture. And, and the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to show you what the conclusion is. And then I'm going to show you um, how I got there. So th this way you can keep it clear in mind and understand kind of the big picture first before we get into the details. Uh, the reason being the details oftentimes throw people off and people have other ideas of what the details are. Uh, so I'm kind of working backwards here. <clears throat> so here's the timeline. Um, I It looks a little complicated, but just stay with me and try not to look ahead here uh, so you're not confused. Uh, let's start on the left-hand side where we have that dot. That dot there is creation or the creation of you specifically. This is your life. So your creation, your conception. And when you were conceived, you were given a body and a soul. So this is this is also why we're against abortion is because um, the, uh, God has given a soul to the very infant in the womb, to the baby. That, so the very moment of conception, it's a new person, it's a new body, a body that's never like never has been and never will be like any other one, other body, and also a soul that is unlike any other. And that's the beginning of your life. And then you have what 70, 80 years of life. And then that next point is death. So in this little line here, are all of your hopes, your dreams, your work, your efforts, all of that, those things. And then comes death. <clears throat> now I have two lines here uh, depicted dotted lines. Uh, showing you, okay, this is the finality of it, but there's two places that you can possibly go. And you can either go to heaven, uh, the scriptures call this paradise or heaven. And then you can also go to hell, uh, so that the soul of the unbeliever goes to hell or what's called Hades or Sheol. And what what's happening here is the undoing of your creation, is the undoing of conception. At conception, you have the body and a soul, and at death, the, the very theological definition of death is the separation of the body and the soul. So your body then stays on this line that is there on earth and your body remains. Meanwhile, your soul, the soul of the Christian goes to heaven, to paradise, or the soul of the unbeliever goes to hell while the body remains on earth. Now, I drew like a fading dotted line here to depict that the body's going to disintegrate. It's going to turn to dust. Um, this is death. Uh, our body becomes lifeless and then it falls apart and uh, it turns to dust. Meanwhile, the soul lives on. So the, bo the body's completely destroyed um, and the body or, or the soul lives on. And this section here, this time that the soul is away from the body, we call this the intermediate state there or the intermediary state. Uh, it's the time between your death and then that big line over here on the right hand side. That is the, f the last day. That's a very, I drew a big thick line there so that you could see this is it. Um, this is the end for everyone, everything. This is when Jesus returns. Now, I drew a series of points here. What's really happening here is this is happening it really quickly in sequence. 
um, I just magnified it so that you could see the distinctions, but it's really kind of all happening at once. There comes the last day. And on that last day is the resurrection of the body. So I have those dotted lines coming back to the middle line, which is the body. So that the soul, which never died, is reunited with the body. And the, it, it's the resurrection of the body. It's the standing up again of the flesh. Uh, that's what the word is in, in Greek, anastasia or anastasis. Um, this is where we get the name Anastasia. Uh, it means resurrection. It literally means to stand up again. So that the body is standing up from the tomb, from the grave, and it's for all people. So you see that it's the body of the, or the soul of those who are in heaven, who are rejoined to their bodies, and the soul of those even in hell, who are rejoined to their bodies. So that everyone resurrects, not just the Christian. This is, this is a, um, a fascinating thing, and we'll talk about this too. So this last day comes, Christ returns, it's the resurrection of the body, and then there's the final judgment altogether, right? Uh, we are judged in body and soul. Everybody is raised and displayed before the Lord, and then he separates the sheep from the goats. You could read this in, in Matthew 25. And then the unbelievers uh, will then be thrown into hell in body and soul. So the body that they've been given will then be cast into hell forever in body and soul. And the Christian will have his body and soul into the new heavens and the new earth. That is the eternity. Um, so the Christian doesn't go anywhere. He remains. But those who are um, unbelievers depart and they are cast away from this. Uh, meaning there's a difference here between heaven and uh, the resurrection. In heaven, we have our souls. In the resurrection, we have our bodies. Uh, we confess this in the creed. We, at the very end, um, the very end of the Nicene Creed, we say, and the resurrection of the flesh, or in the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Oh, in that order, that there's the resurrection of the body, and then life everlasting in that body that continues. So, so this is what's going on here. This is just so that you have it and keep it in mind. And we're going to talk about each one of these things. We've already talked about creation and conception of the human. Where I want to start is with death, then this intermediary state, the last day, and then the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so what I'm going to do is show you a few scripture verses <clears throat> to get through this. Um, so I, I do want to point out the difference between heaven and the new heavens. Uh, heaven, let me, sorry, let me show this to you again. Um, <clears throat> okay, so heaven, I'm going to zoom in here. This part um, is mostly negative in the sense that it's the cessation of bad things. It's the end of pain. It's the end of sorrow. It's the end of sickness and sadness. For somebody who suffers a lot in this life, heaven sounds wonderful. Then I won't suffer anymore. Uh, for somebody who has a good life here, 
heaven doesn't sound so appealing. <laughs> For them, it's, it's the losing of a lot of things that they have in this life. Uh, but that, that's heaven, okay? Um, now, the second thing we have is the new heavens and the new earth. And the scriptures talk about this as well. And this comes in the body. And this is uh, mostly positive. That is, it's the addition of good things. That we'll have our bodies, we'll live in our new bodies and souls without sin, without corruption or guilt or death. A lot of the great pleasures that we had in this life will be restored to us in the new heavens and the new earth. Things like eating, things like drinking, like sleeping, things like building or dancing or creating, all of those things, writing even, that these things aren't sinful. And so they'll be restored. They'll be redeemed. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that as well in a little bit. But I want to rewind and talk about death quickly. So this, this right here, the separation of the body and the soul. So what does the Bible say? Uh, the one text, probably the strongest text here is Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. It says, the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. So the dust here is talking about the body, the body which is dust, and it returns to the earth. And the spirit returns to God who gave the spirit. Uh, that's then the theological definition of death, this separating, this returning or going back uh, in these ways, uh, the separation of soul and body. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, it says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, a better translation, the, the Greek word here is uh, just one word, away from the body is, is just one word in Greek. It's kind of like dehomed or unhomed from the body. So we would rather be out of our home of the body and in the home with in, or homed in with the Lord, right? If that makes sense. What Paul is getting at here is he's saying that our body is our home for our soul. This is where my soul is most comfortable, is in my flesh. Our soul and body were created together and they're comfortable and at home with one another. However, Paul is saying that if we have to choose between being with our body and away from the Lord versus being without my body and with the Lord, then he says of the two, it is better to be with the Lord, even if I'm away from my home with the body. In other words, the Lord completes us and fulfills us in a way that our body alone can't. That we're much more content in the joy of the Lord than we are in the joy of the body. Uh, and yet the promise is that in the resurrection, we will have both our body and soul with the Lord forever. Uh, and then that will be it and will be complete at last, what we were meant to be always. Um, Acts 7 verse 59, uh, as they were stoning Stephen, it says, Stephen called out, he's the first martyr, um, and he calls out and he says, Lord, receive, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So while Stephen is dying. He prays that Jesus would receive his spirit. Um, his body was later buried, but his body and his spirit were separated 
and death. So he says, receive my spirit and my body. So there's a separation here. Uh, Luke 23, verse 43. This is Jesus on the cross. He's talking to the thief next to him. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, the day today here means this day, uh, means Friday, that Friday when he died. Jesus tells the thief on the cross who believed in him that the very day, uh, that the very day that he's going to be with him in paradise. This means this means that uh, we can deduce from this that the thief died on that Friday as well. He died before Saturday. Um, Jesus died before him, and we know that because they didn't break Jesus' legs, but they went and broke the legs of the others who were crucified with him. The reason they broke their legs was because crucifixion was a really long process. And it was really a way to suffocate somebody uh, without putting a bag over their head or something. Um, what would happen is that your body would cramp up, run out of oxygen, um, your, your legs would give out, and you wouldn't be able to push yourself up to breathe. Jesus was wounded so mi miserably and awfully that he died uh, before, he died very quickly, actually. And they were actually shocked. Um, the people who killed him, they were shocked that he died so fast but he lost so much blood through the flogging and the whipping and all these things. The, the thieves next to him weren't um, beaten as badly, so they broke their legs and then they, they suffocated. However, when the thief died, um, well, the reason they did this was because the next day was the Sabbath and they couldn't work on the Sabbath. So they said, well, let's make sure they die on Friday so that we can take their bodies down so that the Sabbath we we won't break any laws. Well, so it's a, a long, long process. Well, when this thief dies, he doesn't get a burial. So they take the thief or any thieves or, or transgressors and his body is probably tossed into a pile of other bodies, um, of dead bodies. And that's what they did with criminals outside of the city. Um, so it, it's actually remarkable that Jesus' body was not uh, tossed into a pit or on a pile of other bodies. Remember, it was Joseph of Arimathea who uh, gave his tomb, a tomb for Jesus to put his body in. And so Joseph of Arimathea was there. And actually Nicodemus uh, was there to take Jesus' body off of the cross. So that, that, that's the bookend to John 3 when Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. Um, and he's afraid and he doesn't know. He's doubting the words of Jesus. And we see that ultimately Nicodemus converts. Uh, and actually is there at the crucifixion of Jesus, even when his disciples weren't. Okay, anyway, uh, so Jesus' body is taken down. But the, the thief's body is thrown into a pile. But the Lord says, today I say, you will be with me in paradise. So he's talking about the soul of the thief uh, is there with the Lord. Uh, also, this is where we get the understanding that heaven is paradise. Uh, that's where we, we call it paradise. Uh, Luke 16, 22, this is about the rich man and Lazarus uh, who both die. And of the uh, of Lazarus, it is said, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That's just another way to refer to heaven. Uh, Abraham's bosom means being next to him. In other words, you go to the place where Abraham is. So if you're next to Abraham, well, then you're with, you're next to him. And Abraham is with the Lord. So that's, that's the first thing. I just want to talk about death and what that is and the way the scriptures talk about this, this ripping apart of the body and soul. The second part, though, is the intermediary state. What happens when the body is in the casket and in the ground? Where's the soul? What's happening? 
what happened to the person. Um, I want to show you one text and I have, this is probably going to be the longest part of the class. Um, I, so, so let me just read this text to you because I, I think it's so incredibly helpful and enlightening if you just take time to really consider the words and what it's saying. This is Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> <clears throat> Oops, sorry. Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> and Revelation is a hard book. Um, you have to know the whole Bible before you read it. It's the last book of the scriptures for a reason. Um, but you have to know all the scriptures. And it's, it is is a difficult book. It's apocalyptic. But it's not scary. Let me just preface by saying that. It's not a scary book. It's actually one of comfort. If you read it as a Christian, it is joy. It's pure joy. Okay, I just want to focus, like, okay, the the seals, right? There are seals, uh, um, things that have to be opened here that are, that are locked. And with each seal, uh, something is being revealed, right? This is a figurative way to talk about what's, what's actually happening. But I want to talk about the fifth seal, which is starting at verse 9. And it says, when he opened the fifth seal, so this is the Lord, he opens the fifth seal, so something is being revealed here. He says, John, who's writing the, uh, the book of Revelation, he says, I saw in this vision under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I'm going to leave the text up here just so you have reference to it and I can go through it together. I have six main points to draw out of this text and from these six points or within the six points a lot of sub points so a lot of things within those six points so um try to 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 keep up here the first thing is this <clears throat> it says the souls um what does this tell us uh this tells us that it is the intermediary state of the christian Specifically in this context, it's talking about the martyrs, but this is of all Christians uh, and their, their fellow servants and their brothers. Uh, you see this in verse 11 until they should be added to them. So the souls, this is talking about the specific moment. There's, there's no souls just floating around on earth or things like this. This is referring to those who have died and are in heaven. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is this, where it says... They cried out. Um, okay, so we see this. Sorry, let's back up. The souls of those who had been slain. That is, those who died. Um, so how can they be alive? How can I see them? Well, there, there's something going on here. Okay, uh, and they, di they, they died or they were slain because of the word of God 
and the witness they had borne. It's because they were Christians. So we know that these souls are the souls in heaven with the Lord. Uh, verse 10 says, they cried out. So this is the second point. Um, the word here is very specific in the Greek. It's not that they didn't just say or speak this. It says they cried out. What does that tell us? I, well, that word shows up also with the lepers who cry out. Uh, Jesus who cries out. People who cry out for help uh, from Jesus. First, um, this tells us that we can still talk and communicate in our souls, even though we don't have a mouth or vocal cords. How this happens or what it looks like, I have no idea. But this is what the scriptures say, that there is a communication that happens still in the soul, even without the body. The second point here is that, or sub point, is that this says that we're not sort of stoic and unfeeling when we're in heaven. Um, it means we still have emotions. Uh, these emotions are full of passion and energy. They're, they're crying out. Uh, maybe even frustration here. Um, you, you can ask, well, how, how could this be? How could they be frustrated uh, without sinning? I'm not quite sure, but apparently it's possible for these saints, for those who have died. Um, and, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later too. So the third thing here, it says they cried out with a loud voice. Um, and I want to highlight this. The A here. The plural they and the singular A loud voice. Meaning uh, that my third point here is um, what does this tell us? First, it tells us that the souls are working together. They, there's plural, doing one action, one thing. They're crying out together, whether somebody's orchestrating it or saying, okay, on the count of three, we all cry out, whatever it might be. They're communicating. They're working together. Somehow they know to say this at the same time. And to some extent, the souls in heaven are interacting with one another. Um, I don't know the extent of it, but to some degree, there is some interaction going on here. The second sub point here is that this tells us that they're conscious and aware and awake in this time. Uh, there, there is a false doctrine that is going around that says that people um, uh, are unconscious in heaven. Uh, this is called soul sleep. That's the name of that false doctrine. It's the idea that when you're in heaven, you're in a state of unconsciousness until the resurrection. You have no understanding of anything. You're not enjoying anything. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just, you're, it's like you're sleeping, not even dreaming. You're just there floating, you know, who knows what, what's going on. Um, and that's wrong. Does it sound like they're not aware of things? No, it, it sounds like they are aware of it. If they're crying out with a loud voice and they have, they have emotions and, and all of this. Okay. Um, the third, uh, sorry, that was the third point. The fourth point is this, where it says with a loud voice. And what did they say? Oh, sovereign Lord, they are talking to Jesus himself. 
This tells us that the souls in heaven not only communicate with one another, which apparently they, they do if they're doing one action together, but they also communicate with God. And that means that the people in heaven are talking to God. That is, they still pray. All prayer is speaking to God. So this tells us one thing that they're praying for. Um, and, and we'll read that in a second here. Uh, it tells us one thing that they're praying for, but it's not the extent of what they're praying for. It's not like this is the only thing that they could pray for. Could it be that the souls in heaven um, still remember us and are praying for us and praying for the church that we would be saved? Yeah, I absolutely. We who are alive here in our bodies, we don't pray for the souls of Christians who have died. There's no need to. They're judged. It's it's done. Um, we don't have to ask anything for them. I mean, Roman Catholics do that because they have a state of limbo or a state of purgatory to help somebody get into heaven. But they're in heaven. They're with the Lord. So we don't have to um, say anything. I mean, if anybody should have gone to purgatory, don't you think it would be the thief on the cross? who didn't have time to amend his ways. And yet, what did Jesus tell him? Today, you'll be in paradise with me, not purgatory, not any place else. You don't have to pay for these sins. I'm paying for them right now. So, so the thing is, they're immediately taken to, to be with the Lord. Uh, so we don't pray for the dead. We don't pray for Christians who have died. But the souls of Christians who have died pray to God for us. Um. Why would they stop? Why wouldn't they pray for us? Right? I'll get to some of these points later. But we pray for the church of God in general, in church. We pray for all Christians throughout the world. Um, do we think that now that they're without sin, that they're closer to the Lord Jesus than they've ever been, that they won't pray to him? No, I, we grant that they do. They do. They still speak to him. Now, I want to get to this next part, and this next part, I, I have quite a lot of points under this, but it's what they ask, and it's in verse 5, or sorry, not verse 5, this is my fifth point, this is in verse 10, they say this, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They have a specific petition here. Um. They're asking this here. So I have six sub points for this. Um, what does this tell us? First, this tells us that the souls in heaven aren't suddenly omniscient. Um, which means there's still things that they don't know. Uh, so many people, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I can't tell you how many times I thought this when I was younger. Uh, will say something like, look, I can't wait to go to heaven because then I'll finally know everything but they're asking how long do, do they know everything no <laughs> so it's it's not true that we'll just know everything in fact we'll still learn things that's part of the fun of it i mean we're still growing in knowledge but it's not true that we're just going to instantly know everything god knows all things but we're creatures god has put in a process for us to gain knowledge and it's through learning or study um, we'll still have to learn things and we'll even have to wait for answers from God if he chooses to tell us, right? He, uh, he's not just going to reveal everything to us right then and there. 
it could be in God's will that he reveals things to us as time goes on uh, throughout eternity. Throughout, I mean, th- that's a long time. Um, and there's a lot to say. And it could be that the Lord reveals these things progressively to us. The second sub point is that this tells us that the souls are what? They are aware of time. We don't know if they're keeping hours or calendars or things like this, but they are aware of time passing by uh, or what we would call the passage of time. They, 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 they're sentient of this. They feel it. Um, they understand that there's a past and a future, right? How long will they, they know something's to come. So they're aware of this, uh, a, a past, a present and a future still. Only God is outside of time. Only, there, there is no yesterday, today, or, or tomorrow for God. It's all now. But for us, for creatures, it's still linear for, for you and I. Um, <clears throat> okay, the third sub point here is that this tells us that the souls in heaven aren't completely satisfied with everything in heaven. Um, so, so many people will also say something like, look, well, now that so-and-so has died... He has everything he wants. Um, But that doesn't sound like it here. It sounds like he is, they are waiting and they don't have everything they want yet. They're they're saying, how long until we see this day that you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Um, They're they're waiting. So they're not satisfied yet. And yet at the same time, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that they're not happy. I'm not saying they're not joyful. They're not at peace. They, they are joyful, happy, at peace and in bliss. And yet at the same time, they're not fully satisfied. Um, it, it's like they're looking forward and anxious about something. Uh, let me, and, and, and in good anxiety, an, an anxiety without sin. Uh, just an analogy here. Think of it like a child who keeps asking his father about Christmas. Um, the child doesn't know how to count. He doesn't know how to keep time or look at the calendar and say what one week is. He can, you and I are better at this and we have a relative, uh, relatively good idea of how this works. But for a child, one hour could seem like an eternity or a week or a month. It seems forever. Um, but the child is anxious and joyful. He knows what he's waiting for. And he's not satisfied and yet he's not angry um, or he's not disappointed. He's actually in joyful expectation of what's coming. And he can see kind of like the, the silhouette of what is promised, right? You, you can see the outline of the present, the box. And he doesn't know exactly what it is. He knows, hey, we got you presents and it's going to be great. And the child is so excited, right? Enjoy. The child keeps asking, okay, is it, is it time yet? Is it Christmas yet? How, how much longer? How much longer? Um, the same goes for the souls in heaven, right? They, they can see something like the silhouette of the resurrection of the body. They know that day is coming and they cannot wait to be in their body again, to be with the Lord, to be with all the saints, to embrace those whom, whom they left on this earth. Um, they're looking forward to this. Uh, it's, it's a joyful thing. Okay. Fourth point, fourth sub point. They ask God when he will judge 
separate the Christians from the unbelievers and when he will avenge their own blood. Let me uh, say this. This means that they even remember how they died. If they say, um, if they say, when will you avenge our blood? Well, somebody made us spill our blood. (laughs) Avenge means somebody did it wrongly. When will you avenge it? They remember their lives on earth. Uh, Heaven is oftentimes spoken of as this sort of um, like, like a moment of or, or a period of amnesia or this event where we just forget everything. Like we just lose our personality and our, our memory is just wiped out and it's, we just have no recollection and we're just floating around in this white space and we have no idea what's left from right. We're, it, it's, it's a weird sort of idea. Um, but that is not what we see here. Uh, they are conscious. They are aware. They even remember what happened to them. They can even remember the day they were murdered or martyred and maybe even remember the pain of it. <laughs> and consider this. And they're, they're asking, how long? How long? Um, when, when will you avenge my death? You promised. And I know it's coming. Um, fifth sub point here is this. Even knowing and remembering the pain of this life and even remembering their own death does not rob them of the joy of heaven. This is remarkable. Uh, Is it possible to be aware of sin, of evil, and still have joy? Yeah, uh, apparently so. Um, Is Jesus aware of evil? And does he know all of the sin that happens? Yeah. Do, do, does, he, uh, does he even know of the evil against him? Yeah. Does it rob him of his joy of heaven? No. What about the angels? Are they aware of evil? Yes. And yet they rejoice day and night. Somehow, in a way that you, I can't even explain or comprehend, in a way that we can't communicate, those who are in heaven remember the painful things of this life and yet are not burdened by them or weighed down by them or upset by them. But they, they, re, they know it and they stay joyful. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, okay. The oops, uh, sixth point, sub point here um, is this. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm correcting. Okay, the sixth sub point is that uh, this means that they are talking about the last day. So when it says, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell the earth, they're, they're talking about one specific time that's about to come. That is the last day, the resurrection of the body, the separation of the sheep and the goats, this final judgment. They are longing for justice. Um, and yet they, 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 they are not sinning. They are longing for God to avenge their blood and yet they're not sinning. Which means there is a way to pray the imprecatory Psalms, a way to call down God's vengeance or justice without sinning. 
Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. <laughs> I don't even know if I know what that's like, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I don't know how to be angry without sinning. Um, but it is, it is a thing. And that those who are in heaven, who are perfectly sanctified, can do this. Because they don't have their sinful flesh clinging to them. Okay, seventh sub point here is that this means that the souls in heaven are not omnipotent because they're still deferring to Jesus. They say, you are the sovereign Lord. You, you are the mighty and powerful one. So uh, this means that the souls in heaven still depend upon Jesus to accomplish things. And they can't make things happen. Uh, they don't have powers or abilities that they didn't have before. It's we don't become different creatures, by the way. Um, we don't become angels when we die. We don't become other things or creatures. You are you. God created you to be you. Um, you're the only you he ever created and ever will create. And it's you that he wants in heaven. You. No one can replace you. No one can no one can make up for you. He, he wants you there specifically. Um, and you, as you are, that's how God created you to be. And it's not sinful that you can't do certain things. Um, for example, you don't have the power to, to move objects with your mind or things like this. Well, that's not sinful. And it's not that uh, when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll have this ability or this uh, power. Um, a lot of people say like when, when their loved ones die, that their loved ones are here on earth with them or that they're causing things to happen on earth or um, moving objects or things like that. And that's not true. Um, we don't see that. Uh, so, so they're still dependent upon uh, the Lord. Okay, now the sixth and last main point that I want to draw from the text is this. Uh, it continues in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. <clears throat> told. Uh, told by whom? Well, uh, by Jesus, the sovereign Lord. What does this mean? First sub point here is that Jesus responds directly to the souls in heaven. Th th this is beautiful. In this life, Jesus responds to us indirectly. That is, he responds to us directly through his word, but we're reading. Um, but he responds to the souls in heaven directly without the Bible. They have his words are going into their ears, his voice. This means they can hear the very voice of God. They can hear it. He talks to them. The second sub point here is that he says a little longer. Um, when John wrote this uh, letter, he wrote this about 2,000 years ago in the year um, 95 to 100. Um, it was so 2,000 years when this was written. And that's about when Jesus said this to those souls in heaven. That's what John is witnessing. He's seeing them and he sees the martyrs and they cry out right there and in that moment, how long, O oh Lord? And then he says a little while. Well, now it's been 2,000 years. Jesus wasn't lying to them. He said a little longer. That's what he said. But what this shows us is that it shows us the way that God and those in heaven experience time. And it shows us that they 
experiences it in a way that's different from how we experience it. That these 2,000 years seem very, very long to us. But for the Lord and for those who are with him, it is only a short time. It's a little while. Um, They're not getting bored. Uh, you know, the saying time flies when you're having fun, right? They're not aware of the years that we're counting. Um, they're aware of time. They're aware of a past, a few, but whether you can mark it or not, I, I don't know, but they're not aware of that. But then the Lord says, it's just a little while, a little bit longer. And it's true. Um, okay, so those are the, the things I want to draw out from the six main points I want to draw out from this text, uh, Revelation 6. It's really a, a beautiful text, and I wish um, I had more time to go through it. Um, but I, I want to answer a question that a lot of people will ask. And <clears throat> people usually ask this to me when, you know, close to funerals, um, or when a loved one dies or something like this, they'll say, do the Christians who have died know what's going on in the world? Like, do they know what's going on in my life? Do they know about me? Um, well, like I said, they remember you. So um, they remember their own life. They remember how they died. They remember who killed them. I think they would remember you too. You have a much bigger role in their life than than the murderers do, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's our minds aren't just erased when we get to heaven. Uh, but so I want to answer this question. Do the saints know what's going on in the world? Well, like I said, the first point here is that no, they're not omniscient. They don't know everything that's happening in the world. Like they, they, they just don't automatically know this or they don't know what's occurring. They don't see us. They don't interact with us. However, does Jesus see us and know all things? Yeah. And does Jesus speak with the saints in heaven? Yeah. So is it possible that Jesus could report to them what's happening on earth? Is it possible that he could update us and tell us what's going on? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, don't, I don't see any reason to think why not. In fact, Jesus, in a general way, told us what is going on in heaven while we are here on earth. He tells us of things that are going on that we can't see. Uh, one example is Matthew 18 when he says, uh, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble. And then he says, uh, for I tell you, their angels see the face of the father. You and I don't see that happening, but Jesus tells us it's a reality. He says, well, their angels are seeing the face of the Father. Um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, uh, the disciples go out to preach. And then Jesus says, when you were preaching, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, just slammed down to the ground like lightning through the preaching of the word. The disciples didn't, see, nobody saw that, but Jesus reported to us what he saw. Isn't that amazing? Um, Jesus told us of uh, on earth of things that happen in heaven in a spiritual realm. And so it's entirely possible that Jesus could tell those in heaven what happens on earth in the physical realm. 
Uh, how much detail he goes into, I don't know, but he, he says this. In fact, there's another text, and I think this is probably the most cogent argument for this sort of reporting or updating from Jesus to the saints and to those in heaven. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Uh, Jesus is talking about uh, uh, eating with sinners and tax collectors and how um, he, he gives the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Uh, it's, it's beautiful, uh, these words. And then he says this, I tell you, here, alive now, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That, this is amazing. He's reporting to us what's happening in heaven about what's going on on earth. So this isn't simply saying that the angels alone rejoice, um, but that there is joy even before the angels, like in front of their faces. That that's the Who else is in heaven there? Well, we have God, we have all of the angels, and then we have the souls, those who believe. Uh, this means that there are other, there's other ones there rejoicing too. Now the question is this, how would they know when a sinner on earth repents? If the angels aren't omniscient and the creatures aren't omniscient, then how would they know? They wouldn't have direct knowledge uh, of this since they're not omniscient and since they can't see it. But it is entirely likely, in fact, uh, probable that God reports to them, uh, to the saints of heaven, to the host of heaven, when someone repents. <laughs> that, that's how they rejoice. Uh, when he tells them of the day of their salvation. Look, uh, I, I think this is all the host of heaven being announced, saying, look, we have another saint. Um, and, and, and that this is being revealed to them. God knows it. He's known it from before the foundation of the world, but he's reporting it to them saying, guess what? Today, this baby... This baby was baptized. I washed away all of his sins. And then all of heaven rejoices. Say, so look, today they received their first communion. They received the very body. I was with them. All of heaven rejoices. Look, this person who, who lost their way, they, they, they died in the final moment, right? That, that uh, thief on the cross, his final moment believes in Jesus and all of heaven rejoices. It, it's like a, a sports team watching their their. Uh, a game win, their, their team win the game in, in the final moments. And the Lord reports this, they're listening to uh, on the radio or something. Uh, so when your children are baptized, it could be that the Lord told your grandparents and parents who were not there for it, who are now with Jesus, that your child was baptized and that they'll see him, right? It's, it's entirely possible. Uh, th this sort of reporting goes on in both directions. Jesus tells the people in heaven, what's going on on earth? He tells the people in heaven, or on earth, what's going on in heaven. Um, <clears throat> now, then the question comes up is, is this, well, what about the bad things? Does he report that too? Like, does he say, look, there was a, there was a massacre, there was a shooting, there was a, a disaster or something? Um, sure, I, I, I guess so. I, I'm kind of getting into speculation here, but the, I guess what's behind that question is what about bad things is if Jesus then reports bad things to people in heaven, right? Tragic things, then won't that rob heaven for them? Won't that destroy the joy they have? And the, the answer is no, because 
uh, the saints in heaven can know about bad things and evil in this life, and yet some way in the Lord not grieve or mourn over them. Uh, when a loved one dies, we miss them and we're sad. Let me ask this. Do the saints in heaven miss us? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. Um, what about them would have changed that they don't miss you? <laughs> and yet they miss you. And uh, can they be sad or in agony and pain while missing you? And the answer is no. So this means that the saints, the, the souls in heaven have a way of missing us without being sad or in pain for missing us. I don't know what that's like, but this is entirely possible. This is entire. This is a thing. I think it's similar to knowing about bad things in this life. So when I hear of bad things happening to someone, I'm burdened and I'm weighed down and I I I mourn and I'm grieved and sad about it. But when they hear of bad things, they can hear it without being burdened or weighed down, without uh, being sad. <clears throat> uh and and we know that because we're we're beginning with the presupposition of what Revelation seven says that uh, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, which which is another way of saying they won't be sad anymore or mourning. So, can they learn things and know things? Yeah. Can Jesus communicate things to them? Yeah. Can they remember things? Yeah. And yet, will they be sad about it? No, because <laughs> Jesus will wipe away the the tears from their eyes. Okay. So that's kind of the intermediary state, and I wanted to spend some time on that. Uh, I want to get to this next part on the last day. And there's a lot of confusing things with the last day. Um, And I'm just going to be direct here. Uh, A lot of American evangelicalism says that there's going to be multiple days. There's going to be a rapture, a secret rapture, um, uh, seven years of tribulation, a separation of the sheep and the goats, a thousand year reign, um, a physical return of Christ, and then finally the the final judgment, things like this. Um, th- that's not true. Um, if I had the time, I would, I would go through these things and show you. What I'm going to do is just tell you what is. And it's just that this is it. One day, the Lord will return. And that's it. That's how it's going to be. It, it is simple. It is, it is plain. Now, the, the reason it's confusing in the scriptures is because scriptures are talking about, okay, heaven, the intermediary state. They're talking about be, before we die, our spiritual state. They're talking about uh, uh, the, the resurrection, things like this. But it's, it's very, very quite, it, it's quite very, very simple. Um, it's just Christ will return. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. The end. Uh, I'll show you a few texts here. Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says, um, The angels say to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. That is, Christ will return visibly, physically to the earth. Revelation 1 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye, every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. Okay, that's going to be a long, there's a big amount of time. Those, those who pierced him died. That is those who sinned against him and, and crucified him. Well, they will see him too. And then it says, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him 
even so, amen. In other words, all will see him. This does not sound secret to me. <laughs> it sounds very <laughs> like everybody's going to see it. Matthew 25, 31 says, when the son of man comes, this is Jesus words himself. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate one people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Um, what does it say when the son of man comes in his glory? He's not coming silently. I, I don't think the glory of God is silent or quiet. He will not return in humility, but in glory, powerfully, majestically, in might. Other scriptures say that the, that the universe collapses before him. Um, the sun stops shining. All these things just fall away while, while the Lord comes. He will judge all mankind. That is, he's going to raise them from the dead and judge them. Acts 17, verse 31 says this. He, this, this is the most interesting one. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he, he has appointed, a man. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him, that man, from the dead. Well, who's the man that's going to judge the world? It's the one who died and rose again, uh, who, who was appointed. Jesus himself will judge the world. And it says he has fixed a day. Um, have you ever heard people say something like, well, look, we got to hurry up and evangelize the world so Jesus can come back. <clears throat> well, that's wrong. The day of Jesus return doesn't depend upon us. He has already fixed a day and we can't influence it. We can't make it come faster and we can't delay it. We can't change that date no matter what. Uh, Jesus is evangelizing the world and he's going to come when he has determined. So, so no amount of our works or doings or preparations or anything is going to haste the day and bring it sooner or delay the day. The Lord has fixed it in his time. Uh, Mark 13 verse 32 says, Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I, I want to explain something here. When he says, nor the Son, he's speaking of himself. Um, a few classes back, we talked about the humiliation of Christ, meaning there were things that he did not know in his human body because he was in a state of humiliation. He withheld and refrained from the majesty that's, that's due to him. However, in his resurrection and his ascension, his state of exaltation, Jesus knows he knows all things. Uh, if you want to compare and contrast that, look at Acts chapter 1 verse 7. And you can see the difference where he says in Mark 13, I don't even know. And then Acts chapter 1, he says, I know, but now it's not up to you to know. <laughs> um, I know the day uh, and, and all of the knowledge is, is his. Second um, Peter 3.10 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Uh, this is just talking about that the day will come unexpectedly. It's good, like a thief attacks your house uh, when you are not aware of it. Everything is going to pass away. It will be dissolved. God will expose the works uh, on that day. Um, and what's happening, uh, the, the rest of that verse says, um, 
and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So God is making public what is known only to him. He's showing the world what's going on. Let me um, restart this uh, recording here. Okay, First uh, Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. This doesn't mean, when he says at hand, it doesn't mean that the end is very soon. The Bible says that, and it's, it's true, behold, I'm coming soon. But um, at hand is something else. Um, he's saying that the end is imminent, meaning nothing else needs to happen to usher in the end. People, if you, if you read like and listen to uh, people talk about the end times, they'll say like 17 things have to happen or whatever number have to happen before Jesus returns. And so, oh, okay, we're, we're kind of uh, safe and, and comfortable here, but we got to keep an eye on the news and see what's going on here and here and here. Um, if that's the case, then the end isn't at hand. It's not imminent, uh, but it is. Nothing has to happen in Jerusalem or Israel. We don't need to rebuild the temple or anything. No, no nuclear bombs have to go off or, or wars need to happen. The end is imminent. It's at hand. It can come at any time. It's, it's ready. <laughs> the Lord is ready to return. There, there's nothing else that needs to happen. That's the point. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me, okay, let, let me talk about this. Romans 8 verse 23 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning. All of creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. Like a, like a woman who is um, giving birth groans uh, in pain. Uh, that's how the whole creation, the whole world, the universe is groaning in pain. And then it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I want to be clear here. It says he is going to redeem creation. That all of creation, the trees, the mountains, the water, the planets are waiting to be redeemed. The scriptures talk about God destroying the world through fire. But that fire is a purification. It is the burning off of the dross. It's, it's the burning away of impurity and the refining, like gold through the fire becomes more pure gold. All the impurities are taken away. In the same way, there's going to be a fire that, that takes away all that is evil and bad and refines and redeems what is good. And this means, I can't stress this enough, in the resurrection, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, it will be, th- this is the formula. This is how you figure it out. What will the, the, that life be? It's creation minus sin equals eternal life. This is what that life will look like. So are mountains sinful? No. Will there be mountains? Yeah. God created them. Well, the, 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 they'll be better than we've ever seen. Are seasons sinful? No. Uh, so there'll be seasons. 
Are colors sinful? No. Are, 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 um, is grass sinful? Are plants, are animals sinful? No, all of these things are under a curse, but they will be redeemed. And so this means there's going to be new things. I mean, beautiful things. Uh, pe people who talk about the resurrection being boring because it's uh, just the length of time, just d don't understand who God is. Everything that is joyful about this life is from God. And everything boring and awful from this life is from us. It's from sin. God will not make the next life more boring than this one. He's not going to make it worse than this. In fact, there'll be things like new seasons that we've never experienced. New colors, new sounds, new, new things. And we will have to learn them. And we'll still study them. And we'll still build things. Are there going to be houses? Yeah, it's, houses aren't sinful. We can build them. And we'll build them better than we've ever built them. And we'll rejoice in them. Um, will there be food? Yeah. I don't know what kind of... It's going to be wonderful though. And we'll need, eat. We'll eat not because we have to, but because it's a joy. It's a pleasure. It, we want to. Um, will we sleep? Yeah, sleep isn't sinful. Uh, but we'll sleep because we want to out of joy. Um, so, so this is the point is it's, it's beyond imagination, right? It's, it's a joyful thing, but it's not something different. Like when, when people say like, Oh, I, I can only imagine, I can only imagine of, of what, okay. Yes. In, in some degree, sure. But in another way, no, that's not true. You can look at a lot of the stuff in this life. I mean, will we gather together and create technology? Yeah. Will we, will we gather around a fire pit and talk? And, and drink things like beer or wine. Yeah, it'll, it'll be great. It'll, will we have opportunity to be with animals and, and train animals? And yes, of course, all these things. Okay, um, I want to get to this final point here. Oh, man, I got to cut some things out. But um, let, me, let me give you two texts where it says, John chapter 5, verse 28 talks about the resurrection. It says, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves, all of them are in the graves, will hear him calling and come forth. All people will be resurrected. Um, but not all will go to heaven. That is, be in the resurrection to eternal life. Uh, the other text I want to show you is Job chapter 19, verse 25. Uh, you know the hymn pretty well. I know that my Redeemer lives. He said this thousands of years before Jesus was born. And he says, I know that my Redeemer lives present tense right now. Th this, is, this is amazing. That he lives right now. And then it says, and that he will stand at the last day upon the earth. What is he ascribing to his Redeemer? Eternity. That he has the ability to be alive right now and yet also be at the end of the earth. And though after my skin has been thus destroyed, and the Hebrew there is destroyed by worms, by maggots, when I'm destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my own eyes shall behold and not another. I'm not going to have a different, like my eyes, whatever color they are, that's the color they're going to be in the resurrection. The way you look now is what you're going to look like in the resurrection without sin. Um, this is what God will raise imperishable. He will raise your body. 
to be like his glorious body. Will you have scars? Maybe. Jesus did when he was resurrected. He still had the wounds in his flesh. Um, I, I don't know exactly how that works. What age are we going to be when we resurrect? I have no idea. But uh, whatever age it is, right? If a child dies, what age will they be in, in, in heaven or an infant dies? I don't know. But the joy of it is that we have a long time to get to know each other and to find out about each other and to talk to one another and realize who this is, <laughs> right? And we'll talk to the saints. We're not just going to go to heaven and know or be in the resurrection and know who Abraham is. We're not just going to automatically know that. I think we'll have to talk and and see who it is. In fact, um, people point to the transfiguration and say, well, how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? I think because they heard them. They, they heard them talking. They were talking about that and they realized, oh man, this is Elijah. I, the disciples didn't just know. They didn't have a picture of Moses and Elijah, right? They, they had to find out somehow. Okay, I want to get to this and this is the, the most important point here. We might go over a little bit of time here, maybe about three or four minutes, but this is the most important thing. What should we do with this information? So what? We talk about this. We have the resurrection. We know how this stuff is going to work out and whatever. But should we think about it? What, what's, what's the benefit? Um, and the answer is yes, you should. In fact, on a daily basis, you should. Um, because God told it to us to give us hope and joy. The entire world frets and is worried about death. They're worried about their sin and their guilt. And they're terrified of the end. But you shouldn't be. You should be filled with hope. All of these things should make you happy. Uh, Colossians 3, 2 says this. Set your minds now on things above, not on things that are on earth. <laughs> Set your minds on things that are to come. Um think of these things, meditate about them, uh, me meditate on them and, and, and think about them, uh, consider them. Uh, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, hope to something that is to come. May the God of hope fill you with all joy now and peace in believing of something that is to come so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Meaning, if you have these things in mind and you set your mind on things above, is there ever a reason for you to be discouraged or despair or lose hope? And the answer is no, never. If you set your mind on things above, that means you, you could watch the news and see all of the awful things happening. And yet you can be filled with joy and hope saying God will redeem it. He'll redeem us all. Uh, Hebrews 11, starting verse 13 says this. Um, these all died in faith not having received the things that were promised to them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Well, how do they see them from afar? In their heart, through faith. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They said, this is not my home. I'm a stranger here. I'm, a, I'm an exile. I, I'm not, I, I don't, it's kind of like what we're going through in the church. We're, we feel like, uh, we're not in our home yet in the sanctuary, right? We're, we're still away from it. It's, it's, 
we have to set up and there's a lot of labor and and we're we're not comfortable yet but we can see the sanctuary being built and we're saying that's our home that's where we're going and seeing that and having that in mind helps us get through all of the painful things now of setting up and taking down things like this and then it continues for people who speak thus in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking about thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have had opportunity to return but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city so it, it, it would be like us walking through a, a foreign land and not understanding any of the language or the things going on. And then we're, we want to be back home. Well, that, that's what it is um, in the same way for us. First uh, Peter three, sorry, first Peter one verse three says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials Though you don't see him. Now you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible. Meaning uh, thinking of the things to come should give you hope and joy. Now, uh, Revelation 2.10 says this, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And I want to close the class with this final verse here, Romans 8.18, that says this, I consider that the sufferings, all of them, the pain, the shame, the regret, the guilt, the agony, the misery, the longing for the universe. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So that what is the use of thinking of these things that it would get you through this valley of tears and this valley of the shadow of death, that you know that something great greater, far greater than your imagination can, can uh, 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 create is coming. And that you would compare what you are about to receive to what you now have and endure. That all of this was done through Christ. All of this was a free gift from the Lord. That our suffering of this life is so brief, it's so short. Uh, we say that life is short. Well, so is our suffering. Um, but our joy will be long and unending. It will be forever. And this is why uh, we rejoice in knowing Christ. Because if we know him, then we know all these things. And we know all the things he gives us. And if we know him here, then we'll know him in the life to come. Um, so <clears throat> with that being said, uh, just some closing remarks. I wanted to say thank you to all of you who joined on day one and remained until now for the past four months. Uh, what, it's been 14 weeks, even though two of the weeks we didn't, list, uh, we didn't uh, meet together. But 12 weeks of this study, um, also listening to everything I could say in these 12 weeks in the time given. Uh, thanks for your time and attention. Um, 
T tomorrow, uh, I host uh, Theology on Tap at um, Home State Brewing in, in Winter Garden. You're welcome to go and ask any questions if you want to at that time. Uh, it's at 7 o'clock. I'll send reminders out for that, too. Uh, all, all of these things are recorded. They're online. I'll be sending it out as well. And if you have questions or you're interested in joining the church, let me know. And I'm happy to talk to you guys about it. So uh, thank you guys once again for for participating and being a part of this. And um, yeah, hopefully we, we talk soon. Take care, everyone.